This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by one of the most renowned orthopedic surgeons in the country, one of the leaders in joint replacement surgery. We're joined by Dr. Kevin Stone. We're going to talk today with Dr. Stone, particularly about a book he's recently authored called Play Forever. And, and for those of you that are younger, you won't appreciate this as much as we do that are my age, how much more challenging it is to stay healthy and able to play and do the sports you love doing as you get into your, you know, third, fourth, fifth decade of doing so. And Dr. Stone's going to tell us a little bit about how we could continue to do so and, and talking about the book Play Forever. Dr. Stone, can you take a moment, introduce yourself, and then tell us a little bit about the book that you've authored and so forth? Sure. I'm an orthopedic surgeon here in San Francisco. Uh, I treat knee, shoulder, and ankle problems for the last 30 years, focusing on biologic joint replacements as well as bionic, robotically controlled ones, and treat athletes and people with arthritis. We uh, see if we our research. I'm also chairman of the Stone Research Foundation here in San Francisco, where we focus on trying to accelerate healing and treat, cure, prevent arthritis. So we have an entire research program around uh, driving uh, healing and, and treating arthritis. The book Play Forever, which is coming out December 14th, uh, describes a lot of the things we'll probably talk about in this call a little bit, but how to help people recover from injury and uh, play the sports they love for until the day they drop. <laughs> And talk about this. There's, you know, I, I had not really appreciated, I think, until the last couple of years, this sort of perspective on inflammation. Like Cleveland Clinic Research Views was one of their four core areas, inflammation. Because this concept, if you could avoid it getting worse to begin with and getting inflamed, you have a better chance of recovering and playing forever. Talk to us a little bit about what are the keys? What are some of the keys to playing forever? Is it stopping inflammation in the first place? Is it inevitable if you're going to be so active into your, you know, your 50s, 60s, 70s, and so forth? How do you, you know, put yourself in a spot to play forever? So inflammation, as you bring up, is a two-sided coin where you need inflammation to recruit the body's own stem-derived repair cells to the site of injury uh, to stimulate the healing response. On the other hand, chronic inflammation, where tissues are, are inflamed and hypervascular and hypercellular over a long period of time, is a negative, as it tends to break down tissues and lead to a degradative environment. But to answer your question, how do you, what are the, some of the keys to playing forever? It's number one, identifying injuries early and repairing them. So a good example of that is the meniscus, the shock absorber inside people's knees. And so many of your listeners have torn that meniscus and a surgeon, and either they then lived with it for years and then act like a windshield wiper inside their knee joint, creating arthritis, or a surgeon, you know, well-meaning, went in and took out the torn tissue. And unfortunately, that leads to forced concentration and wear and tear of the joint over time. And so if patients could only treat those injuries with more modern techniques, repair, regenerate, and replace those damaged tissues the moment they're injured, then the likelihood is the joints will go on and last for a lifetime. So people always ask, hey, doc, can I run? And the answer is you can run forever as long as you don't have an injury. But once you have an injury, you change the mechanics and the biology of the joint. And we're passionate about solving those issues immediately when they occur. And talk about this issue of, um, of the arthroscopy and so forth. You know, I certainly have heard from countless 
friends, colleagues, others, they've sort of worn out their ability to do arthroscopic surgery on their knees because they've just cut so much tissue already, or they've done too many cortisone shots. Talk about that and how that works and why that's the case, why cortisone shots aren't a constant answer for everything, why you can't constantly do arthroscopic surgery and, and how you end up taking away too much tissue. Talk about that a little bit and what are some of the better answers? So two subjects there. One, cortisone. That's an easy one because we've all learned that cortisone damages the tissues that we're trying to save. Cortisone shuts down tissue healing. Cortisone inhibits cell metabolism. And so everywhere where we used to give cortisone shots, we now give anabolic shots. We want to stimulate the tissues to heal. And we'll talk about those different types of anabolic injections. And then on the arthroscopy side, well, classic, as people referred to as arthroscopic cleanups, where surgeons would go in and take out the damaged tissues, we would prefer that surgeons use arthroscopy, which is a great tool, but to go in and repair and replace the damaged tissues rather than just take them away. Thank you. And how do you repair, replace? What is the current status of biologics? I know it's it sort of been over, all over the board. At one point, it was viewed as sort of like, is this really a thing? Then it's become more mainstream. But there's still a whole mix of attitudes about regenerative medicine, about biologics and so forth. Tell us what the current lay of the land is. So two big subjects there. One is which injections can stimulate healing and can create an environment that's helpful for injured tissues and joints, and which tissues can be replaced. So if we start with the which tissues can be replaced, then we'll come to the injections. So again, the meniscus cartilage is a great example. We do lots of meniscus transplants now, replacing the damaged and missing meniscus tissue in patients who've injured their knees, and even in arthritic knees, as long as there's still joint space, in order to give the patient a shock absorber. I have so many 40, 50, 60, 70-year-old patients who still want to run triathlons, who still want to run marathons, who still want to keep being quite active. And they say to me, hey, doc, isn't there just a shock absorber you can put back in my knee and replace, you know, give me some more time. And we do lots of that now, and it's been extremely helpful. On the injection side, the field went through a phase of trying to figure out which cells should we inject into damaged tissues and joints in order to regenerate missing and torn tissue. And we learned that the cells, when they're injected, tend to leave the joint fairly quickly and don't regenerate or repair any of the tissues that we thought they were doing. So what, we, what they did do, though, is that the growth factors produced by those cells recruited the body's own stem cell-derived self-repair cells or progenitor cells to the site of injury and induced the healing response, induced a healthier chemical environment and a healthier biologic environment. So today, our most popular injection therapy is actually taking your own blood, getting the platelets out of it called PRP that everybody's heard about. We add hyaluronic acid to it because it's a natural lubricant of the joint. And we add, the, and together we use that as a stimulating injection for injured tissues and injured joints. Over time, some of the other cell-derived therapies such as bone marrow, fat, and birth tissues will be optimized for the different injuries. But right now, the combination of PRP and HA seems to be quite potent. And, and, and take a moment on this concept of running triathlons, marathons, et cetera, into one 70s, 80s, 90s. You know, I mean, certainly there's all kinds of stories of people in 
read a book about people that just did natural ultra marathons in Mexico and Africa and so forth. Is, is the human body meant to do that? Are they meant to do it in the way that we do it today? Is that is that just anathema or people could do these ultra marathons and marathons very late into life? It just depend on your gen- genetic makeup. Does it depend on your diet? What what drives that ability to keep on performing at that level, you know, late into life? A healthy body can perform for a lifetime. And a healthy body means an optimized weight, good nutrition, good mindset, because your mind controls a lot about what you do. And then hopefully either never injuring your joints or having the joints repaired early. So as I said, a normal knee joint, for instance, can run for a lifetime. It's only after injury that shortens it. And yes, I think the human body has been made to, to, has evolved to be able to perform quite well for a long time. My practice is filled with people in their later years wanting to perform all kinds of phenomenal sports and ski 100 days a year and climb mountains and run tries and even run centuries. And our job is to help them do that safely and do it well and help them achieve their goals. And so we've optimized both on the research side and on the therapy side how to, pe- how to help people play forever. Now, it's not just world-class athletes. We have, of course, those, but we have people whose goal is just to walk in the mall without pain. And so we can work with them and help them with injections, with replacement tissues now to achieve that goal if that's their main goal in life. Answer for me that the most challenging question of the great universities, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, what's the greatest of those three and what's the worst? Uh, that's not a question I can answer. You should you should always know the bias of your surgeon. I was trained at Harvard, Stanford, and and uh, and you know in University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I think all three of those institutions are awesome for different reasons and uh, have great great doctors and great scientists in all the places. Uh, um, so I, I'll stay out of that argument. Though there was a great expression when I was back at Harvard that said you know, a lot of great ideas come out of the place, but none go in. And in part, that's because of the hard-headedness and egos of different doctors in different environments. But that's true of all scientists. It's true of all of us. So I would say to the patient, always know the bias of your surgeon. I'm particularly biased at rebuilding tissues biologically. Another surgeon might be more biased at always doing a joint replacement, let's say. But on the joint replacement side, we should talk about that for a minute because it's really changed a lot. We now, by using robotics, can place those joints like resurfacing rather than removing the entire joint. And the implant can be designed to grow, that the bone can grow into the implant. So we've gotten rid of bone cement. We've gotten rid of all the reasons why people couldn't return to sports. And so even after total knee replacements, we have patients doing triathlons and all kinds of sports that they never used to think that they could do. And we've learned a lot that the more the patient exercises, the better they do, the more they build their bone, the more they build their muscle, and the less likely they are to wear out their joint. No, yeah, absolutely. And and, and the more they keep on doing that therapy, the therapy they have to do, the exercise after the joint replacement, the better off they do as well. If they if they're not aggressive about it, they end up with too much scar tissue or other kinds of problems as well. I mean, isn't that the case too? Yeah. Again, as we say, the harder they go, the better they do after their joint replacements now. I'll ask you one more tough question. I knew I was unfairly asking a Harvard and Stanford graduate about Harvard, Stanford, and Yale and didn't expect you to answer the Yale part of it. <laughs> but I'll you the next question and the tougher question. I'm not sure you're able to answer this. When it comes down to it, uh, I'll ask you two questions. Dean Smith versus Coach K. 
<laughs> That's troublesome. That's a UNC versus Duke question. And, uh, you know, I was there when Dean Smith was there. I'll tell you one quick story. So I was a freshman. Uh, I was a first-year medical student uh, back in 1978. A friend said, hey, let's go watch a basketball game. And so I said, okay. I didn't really know what the ACC was. We went down, and on the court there was these guys named Jordan, Worthy, Perkins. And I turned to the guy and said, hey, these guys are pretty good. <laughs> Amazing, right? Amazing. Talk about that. Talk about, you know, there's, there's this constant dialogue, and I'm a Chicagoan, so to know the bias is to know that it's a Michael Jordan bias. But there's this constant dialogue about Michael Jordan versus LeBron. Do you want to weigh in on that? Do you want to avoid that? That's such a loaded question today. You could avoid You're welcome to avoid it. No, listen, they're really very different players. You know, LeBron is a is a freight train on the on the basketball court with phenomenal talent at the same time. Michael just had a better smile. He he engaged people more in the sport the same way Steph Curry does a little bit. And I think people respond to an athlete who smiles. And let me, let me tell you a little bit that's true as a patient going into surgery. The patient who's smiling, you know, pre-op area going into surgery with a happy attitude, the surgeon does better, the nurses do better, the anesthesiologist does better, and the outcome is better. And so in the same way athletes get identified with who's better or who makes you feel, feel good, a smile makes the patient and all the people around them feel good, and everybody does better. And, and there's great science behind that, isn't there? I mean, there's this great science about these ultra marathoners in Mexico that, you know, they're one of these lush tribes that, that, that enjoy themselves, they smile, they meditate as running. And that ease at which doing it is so different than some of us that grind through it, which is not a prescription for success. That, that, that mental attitude is so important to everything, isn't it? It really is. It drives your outcome. It drives your happiness. And it, it, it improves the lives of everyone around you. Dr. Stone, what a pleasure to visit with you. Congratulations on the new book, Play Forever. Where can people get copies of the new book, Play Forever? Where can they buy it? Where will it be available? On Amazon, for an, it'll come out December 14th. You can uh, see it there. And an audio book will come out a few months later. And uh, in that book, Play Forever, we really try to describe these principles of how to help people uh, stay injury-free or recover from injury and fundamentally how to play forever. Now, you know, one of the great challenges, Dr. Stone, is you have this very disciplined mind, and you keep on coming back to the core of what you do, which is, you know, trying to improve the, the, the body so people can play forever, really your life's mission. And I keep on losing discipline and asking you questions that are ridiculous. I was going to ask you one more. You mentioned it's going to be available on Amazon. Are you a bigger Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk fan? Uh, Elon Musk is just an awesome, brilliant, uh, odd guy. And Jeff Bezos, when you read his book, you realize that the guy was brilliant in business. And is, is maybe some of his personal life decisions you don't admire, but his business principles drove the company to achieve phenomenal success and to help people get products in ways they've never gotten them before. So the two of them are, are titans in my mind, and uh, I admire them both quite a bit. I, I appreciate you indulging me with these silly questions but are fascinating to me to go with the great study of what you do. What a pleasure to get to visit you, Dr. Stone. A true pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us and good luck with the book. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.